Hi, everybody. This is Phil Town. This is Danielle Town. We're here for the Invested Podcast, where we talk about how to invest in a way that makes the rest of the world look like they have absolutely no clue. In- <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite slogan ever. <laughs> in particular, I'm going to make the case, Danielle. Tell me. That investing is only those activities where you're putting money into something where you're nearly certain you're going to make money Hmm. and that the return on investment is immediate. Immediate. That is, you're getting cash flow or the company is taking the cash flow you would have gotten and growing themselves with it. One of those two ways. Oh, I see. Okay. So it's not not actually coming to my pocket immediately. Not necessarily. But but it could be. But it is growing my investment immediately. So it either could be coming to your pocket in the form of cash or like, it, let's say the rent that you get from, like we we're talking about last time, is off, off a piece of real estate, comes into your pocket in cash. And Charlie Munger, I said last time, says we like to buy companies where at the end of the year they write us a check. <laughs> so we should want the same thing. Does that mean dividends? It can mean dividends. Yeah, it means when it comes to public companies, it means dividends. Yeah, okay, for sure. When it comes to private companies, and by the way, everything we're teaching you guys should apply absolutely exactly the same to a private company. Yeah, I'm getting that picture. And obviously, like most all of my clients really are private companies. So that's something I work with a lot and think about think about private companies as we go on. But it's much harder to invest in private companies for a lot of regulatory reasons and a lot of access reasons and a lot of amount of money you have reasons. <laughs> that's usually the big one. <laughs> so uh, so that's why we're focusing on public companies. And you too can buy this million dollar a year cash flow for only $9 million. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you guys have been sending in amazing questions to questions at investedpodcast.com. And we love getting them. There's no way we can respond to you guys, but we are addressing them on the podcast. So we like you to write them, yes, but we, we're not going to read them or anything. We do we're just, read them. Oh, we do? We absolutely read oh, okay. them. We includes you. I thought it was just an exercise. <laughs> it's good for you to write questions. It actually That actually is true. Not that we're going to ever give you the answer. No, but we want to. Um and we've been str- sort of struggling with whether or not we should have like certain episodes dedicated to questions, and we might try that out. We might um, indeed. We have, but the we thing have is, the- we tend to talk so long that <laughs> the idea of having more than one question per episode seems ridiculous. So, uh, so like we answered the robo advisor question, and we talked about Chipotle, which was a bunch of people's questions. So we're, we're, we are getting to them, and we love getting your questions, but. It just might take us a while to get All to All right. That. But in next week, I want to make it, I want to dedicate next week to questions. If we're done with our um, valuation. Well, we won't ever be done with valuation. Well, but, you're right. We won't be done. But we may be wrapping it here so that we can, because next week is our 52nd podcast. That's right. One full year of podcasts. We're really we're excited. Very excited. Wow, we did a year. <laughs> and we've had... Over. It's not quite a year in time because we released a bunch at the beginning. That's true. But it's a full 52 years length length, of length yes. And you know what? It gives mm. us two things to celebrate because then we'll also celebrate the, the year anniversary of releasing the first few podcasts. I know. It's going to also celebrate the, which we already passed, the 500,000th download. Yeah, we're way past that. We're way past that. So now. we love you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for giving us five stars. We love it. And thank you, U.S. News and World Report, for putting us yeah. as the one top, you know, one of the top uh, money 
podcasts in the world. We yeah, really are so excited exciting. about that. And dad, mm-hmm. by the way, can people like get info from you on their questions that they have? Because I, we are really going to, to answer questions on the podcast as we've been doing, but is there um, another way? I know you have a bunch of stuff going on with your company. We do. We have a, you know, we've got this, this um, almost, we do this now, a live three-day program. That with you, with me, I teach it every month, almost every month. Um, it's almost always just in Atlanta, south of the airport, north of our farm. And um, oh, so this is the thing that there's a little blurb about at the end of every podcast. Yeah, okay. that you can come to. Got it. And it's like it's three days, and I teach it. And we used to charge five thousand bucks for it, and then we charged four thousand dollars for it, then we charged three thousand dollars for it, as more and more people <laughs> went. You know, it's sort of like you get the premium, and then you. But, I suppose it's that, or you were making it crappier the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's gotten better and better, and now we have people wanting to come and go again and again and again, and we got to tell them no um, because we limit the size of it really tight, and um, and we do them all pretty close to the house, and then we try to have everybody come over and and visit our house and meet the horses and have a barbecue and stuff on Saturday night. But here's the thing. You guys are doing a lot of work on this podcast, and we really like that. And we're doing this with people from the blog and the podcast and and people coming in and trying to learn this stuff. And we want to take money off the table as an issue. So we're going to teach you for free if you go to investedpodcast.com and just walk your way right into the website and... Click whatever buttons we've got there that'll get you to the workshop. I don't know which ones they are right now, but we're trying to make it quicker and easier. And we'll get you on a scholarship. If you come in through investedpodcast.com, we'll get you a full ride scholarship. All you got to do is get there and um, and we'll teach you that class for free. And by the way, we don't sell anything at the class. I don't want you to come waiting for the other shoe to drop as what as happens in you know most places where you're going to workshop. They try to sell you more stuff. We don't do that. Um, We're real excited that we're all about teaching and um, all about building your confidence that you can actually do this. And at the end of three days, we're going to send you out the door with some homework and some more work to do. You know, you certainly got to keep going, but you will have a stunning foundation. And more and more of our podcast students are gone. So it's really uh, fun to see you guys there. Yeah, I've been hearing from people who listen to the podcast regularly that the workshop was a really great compliment to what they're learning on the podcast, which is really cool to hear. Very cool. So come to that if you can, and um, just look forward to seeing you there. And there's where we can answer your questions. We have usually at any given one of these workshops, we have 30 volunteer students coming who have been students for years, you know, and have really learned this stuff well. And many of them have even retired as a result of learning this kind of investing. And they will be happy to teach you for three days. They come, we don't pay them. They just come and work hard. And um, I do all the teaching and they do all the exercise work with you guys when you get on one-on-ones and small groups. Um, oh, so come ready to work, by the way. It starts at nine in the morning on Friday and goes till midnight. <laughs> and then Saturday, same thing all over again. Sunday, we get you out of there at three o'clock. So anyway. All right. So back to valuation. Back to valuation. Um, we ended last time talking about Really quickly, way too quickly. The uh, what a what a capex. Wait, am I saying this right? What a capex is? No, capitalization capital rate. expenditure is a capex. Maintenance capex. Maintenance is capital expenditure. Is capital expenditures that you are you just replacing stuff and fixing stuff you have to fix to stay in business. So that would be if you have a piece of real estate 
it's the maintenance cost to keep the building uh, to a standard that would allow you to keep your rents where they are. Okay. All right. And in a business, similarly, you have to do stuff. Some businesses have to do a lot of stuff all the time. Like car companies have to constantly retool and it's a real issue hmm. because they have to do that just to stay in business. Um, other businesses have a tremendous amount of cash flow. Um, that, and most of it is only dedicated to growth or to dividends and buybacks. So that's the, uh, we're trying to use real estate here and kind of experimenting with this a little bit on the <laughs> podcast to use real estate as a, as a method of teaching how to value a company because real estate is pretty, you know. Yeah. I noticed you were doing that and I have to say I liked it cause it made sense to me. Awesome. So we, to recap, we've got our real estate, our, our single family home that we're going to rent out. Um, we brought in rent from that. Well, we're really, we were talking about the lemonade stand, right? Yeah. Which you were comparing to this right. real we're estate. Right. We're kind of doing back and forth yeah. between the two. Yeah. So the business or a lemonade stand has revenue from selling lemonade. Yeah. And the, the business, which is a, a house that we're renting, has revenue from renting the room. So it's selling a room. It's got room rent. All right. And then both of these companies have expenses, cost of the thing that they're doing. And that includes taxes, insurance, maintenance and management for the real estate. And over here at the Lemonade Stand, it's sugar and, and um, ice and Pitcher pitchers and, and lemons and squeezers yeah. and labor. And it turns out uh, a product that you pay you pay a dollar for and you, it costs you a certain amount of money to make that product. And um, then you also have to subtract for uh, the management of the business, which is um, sales, general, and administrative uh, costs. And now you've got kind of apples to apples. What you have left over in real estate is the money you have left over at the end of the year is one way to call it. And in professional real estate circles, that's called funds from operations. Okay. And then in uh, our business, we have what we're going to call net income. Yes. All right, net, cool. Or net earnings, or right? Or net earnings, Those yeah. Those are the same? Sure, okay. net earnings. All right, now... Um, and so we have net earnings of $6. Right, we have net earnings of $6. And over here with funds from operations, we also have a certain amount of money. Um, but we got to take off one more thing out of our out of our business with the lemonade stand because of the way they treat expenses. And this is the capex. This is the capex. capital expenditure. Capital expenditures, which in public companies, on most public companies' uh, financial documents, is there's a line in the cash flow statement called purchase of property and equipment, and it means items that were expensive you had to pay for them, but you couldn't write them off because of tax rules. Okay. So. You couldn't take them in as expenses in that year. Therefore, you are going to have money in the bank um, that doesn't match your net earnings. Your money in the bank is going to be less than your net earnings in this case. Because you spent some of it. Because you spent some of it on PP&E. On property and equipment. Right. Now, the purchase of property and equipment has two categories. Growth um, money, that you, money that you spend on growing the business and money you spend on maintaining the business. So if we were to compare this to our real estate deal, what we want to do then is look at what we take out of the real estate deal to arrive at FFO. And what we take out is maintenance. Hmm. We don't take out of FFO the money that we would use to grow that, that real estate deal. So we're not going to, let's say we put... FFO? Yeah, funds from operations. Funds from operations. So the real estate, you've got rent 
and then you have taxes, insurance, and management, and you also have maintenance. Same thing with the lemonade stand. You have revenue from selling lemonade, and then you have the expenses, lemons, sugar, uh, management, and maintenance. But there's a separate line for it on financial statements called PP&E, and it isn't all maintenance. So we're, we're going to figure out what's the maintenance portion of the PP&E, and in the 10K on public companies, they tell you what it is. Most of the companies do. They break it out. And um, oh, okay. but on our lemonade so the, stand, we so know. The, let me just repeat that: the purchase of property, purchase of property and equipment line mm -hmm. on the financial statements mm -hmm. includes both the maintenance and the growth expenditures. Right. But then there's another line where they break out, which is which? Well, in the 10K, when they discuss what each line means, oh, I they see. discuss PP and E yeah, yeah, in yeah. most companies. Like we were talking about Chipotle Grill. Chipotle Grill breaks it out and says. They have a paragraph and they write about it on a footnote. In the footnotes. Yeah, footnotes to financial statements can be extremely important. Yes, they can. And they are there are a lot of them and they can also be really dense. So yep. that's a difficult part. That's you know, you as you well know, you write those things. So Oh, yeah. I've never written one of those things, thank oh, goodness. Who does that? <laughs> Accountants do that. Oh good, okay. <laughs> so here's this footnote that says that um, our capital expenditures uh, for 2015, we're $260 million, um, of which $200 million was for the uh, expansion of Chipotle restaurants. Mm -hmm. um, and that leaves you to conclude <laughs> that the $60 million that wasn't just mentioned was maintenance. Okay. All right. That's okay. how we get that. And our lemonade stand's real easy because it's our lemonade stand. We know we spent a dollar on maintenance and a dollar on growth. Yeah. So now we're going to subtract from our our uh, net, net income that one dollar. Our net earnings. Yep. Minus one. Yep. Now we have five dollars. Five dollars. So if this, what what we're doing here is we're basically allowing ourselves to compare a house that we're renting and ending up with money that we have at the end of the year to our lemonade stand money that we have left over at the end of the year. Yeah. And they're identical now. All right. Okay. And so we said, OK, well, if we were to buy this house, if we were to look at this house and say this house has five dollars left over at the end of the year or to be more sensible, this house has five thousand dollars left over at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. OK, so we're looking to buy it and we're going, OK, I know I without raising the rent, like let's say the lawn isn't mowed, it needs paint. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's a solid place. Just the way things are, I know that if I buy this house for a certain price, whatever it is, I'm going to get $5,000 at the end of the first year without doing anything different. Okay, so now how much would I pay for the house? And there's a standard in real estate called capitalization rate that lets you figure that out. And what it is basically is you look at the $5,000 that you've got left over mm -hmm. and you divide that by whatever... You want to pay for the house, and the answer should be 10%. So if you said $5,000 divided by $50,000, the answer would be 10%. You're saying that whatever the cash flow that you get off of that house is should be equal to a 10% profit at the end of the year. Right. Okay. 
Right. Now that's a standard. So we can just say, okay, well. Yeah. So that was one of my questions from the end of last time. You just came out with 10%. And I was out like, of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Right. Why not 7%? Right. Or 2%? Right. Or 20%? So here's the answer to those questions. Okay. Why not 7%? Because it's less than 10% and we want more. Why and not 20%? Because it's more than 10% and no one will sell us a place <laughs> for that. <laughs> so there's a standard that's developed about businesses. And I'm very explicitly and intentionally using the word businesses to describe these real estate deals. Hmm. If you're doing it as a business deal, not just suck, just praying and speculating. If you're doing it as a business deal, there's a standard price that you should be targeting for a real estate project. So really, like everybody in real estate is out there for their 10%. They won't do a deal unless they get 10%. Almost nobody is out there for 10% and <laughs> all of them will do a deal. <laughs> so you just made this up. You said everyone should be doing 10%. I gave you a big should. Um, no, most of, the, most of the professionals out there running REITs are doing deals for far lower cap rate than that. That's what I thought. Yeah, you because it's like, somebody you know, else's money. Five or six percent is good. Yeah, in this in this yield market where you get a point zero one percent in your savings account, five percent looks pretty good. Pretty good. And so people have raised the price of real estate because people are willing to pay enough money that they end up with a yield of five percent, which is the same as a cap rate of five. All right. Uh huh. So why would they do that? Well, the first reason is it's not their money. That they're investing. It's somebody else's money. It's investor money. And investors are desperate for yield. And so these various professional real estate companies are going out and bidding for houses and apartments and complexes and offices. And the more people bidding, the higher the prices go. You've got a certain demand. you got a bigger, bigger supply. That's pushing up the price. And it's pushing down the cap rate. So, for example, one real estate investment trust that I really like is owned by our family, pieces of it. And um, both of your stepbrothers own chunks of this thing. And it's a, it's a really good company, but I'm highly biased about it. So I'm not even going to mention the name. But <laughs> they produce a, um, when they do their deals, they're looking to buy at an eight and a half cap rate. And they're looking to sell at a six cap rate. So that's the spread that they're looking for. And they're in a professional market. They have, you know, outside capital that has to be invested and so on. So they're not shooting for a 10, and they'd love to get one. Yeah, I observed something, which is that both of those numbers are below 10. Yes, those are both below 10. And, um, and so 10 is high. Okay. 10 is up there. All right. All right. So we're looking for why 10. And the yeah. first reason is because it's our money, number one. Number two, because we're looking for small deals that are not being pursued by professionals with mm. tons of money. Um, and we're not dealing with professional sellers. We're dealing with amateurs that we can find 10 cap rates out there with real estate. I have a friend of mine that just, just cut my hair the other day and just said, hey, I just found a place, $110,000. It's got X amount of rent coming in and after expenses, it's a six, sorry, it's a 14 cap rate deal. Hmm. And it's like, wow, man, find one of those for me, <laughs> right? Yeah. But they're relatively small, so professionals aren't chasing them down everywhere. So indeed, you can find really high cap rates um, as a small investor in real estate, which is one of the reasons real estate's so attractive to small investors. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. I mean, yeah. I would say it's attractive because it's easily understandable and it's local. Um, Both true. 
but maybe also because you can get high returns. Yeah, absolutely true. I don't know. It seems to me like you'd have to really know what you're doing to get that kind of... You do have to know what you're doing. And you, even more importantly, you have to beat the bushes. So anybody that's listening to this, please don't take it that um, I think running out and getting a 10 or 12, 14 cap rate on real estate is easily done. There are tons of people out there who have taken courses on how to buy real estate from guys like me, and they're out there trying to beat the bushes, and they're writing letters, and they're driving around, and they're looking at empty places, and they're calling up the owners. And, you know, in place, certain places like Los Angeles, it's probably, you know, become a professional game. But there are places where you can get those kind of deals, and if you know what you're looking at, you can get them, okay? So... The point here isn't to convince you to buy real estate. Oh, okay, because it sounded like it was. For no, a second. it's not. <laughs> and I'm thinking it's hard. I choose not to. I <laughs> some people I think really enjoy that stuff, and that's awesome. Like they they like looking at houses, they like driving around, they like making the deals, they like convincing people to sell. I don't know whatever right. whatever you have to do to get that kind of thing. It's just not my thing. It's not mine either. I don't love the driving around process and the pounding on the doors and having somebody tell me you're the 47th guy that's asked me, go the hell away. Yeah. You know, that I don't enjoy that kind of stuff. But there are a lot of people who really do. Yeah. Like your friend who was cutting your hair. He, he does. He He's, loves it. He loves it. He loves doing, you know, he loves pounding the bushes. Yeah. Okay. Me, I prefer the pound of bushes with my computer to do to do looking for companies that are for sale out there so i've got to figure out what i could pay for things that i find and that's the purpose of this little conversation we're having which is to say that real estate done the way small real estate people can do it provides us with a pretty good model for valuing a business all right the, the cap model, rate model the model that i just heard is as follows it is hard to find a 10 percent cap rate Right. But if you drive around a lot, <laughs> maybe you can. Right. Maybe. Right. So let's compare that to our lemonade stand. Right. So How? we're just looking to value this guy's lemonade stand, right? We're looking Are to buy it. Are you saying that we want 10% on our lemonade stand every saying year or else it's it. not a good investment? I'm saying that if we were to buy a lemonade stand, we'd want to buy it with the same model that we're using to buy that house down the street for a rental. Okay. So let's say the lemonade stand is producing $5 of profit, of, excuse me, of owner cash flow is how we define Yes, that. I wrote that down last yeah. time. Because we don't have a name for it in, so in stock investing. So our net earnings are $5 and you said, oh, yeah, yeah, our new net earnings number. Okay, question. Because we had net earnings of $6, then we had the purchase of property and equipment for maintenance of $1, then we have a new number. Is that new number also called net earnings? No. Okay. It's called owner cash flow, or you could call it owner earnings if you like. And this is just a term that you're coming up with. It's a term that Warren Buffett came up with, so I will give him credit. Oh, well, I'll, I'll accept that. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm crossing out net earnings, and I'm putting owner cash flow equals $5. And for all of my friends out there who are now going to challenge me that owner earnings are not calculated quite as simply as I just laid out there. Yeah, we're going to get emails now to questions yeah. at investedpodcast.com. Warren Buffett says that you have to do And we're not going to answer any of them. No, we're not going to. <laughs> Warren Buffett says you do it exactly this way in the 1985 letter. I know. I've read them. I'm just <laughs> boiling it down here that we're going to figure it out this way for right now. And it works. It's not going to be perfection, okay? 
It's not going to be, oh, go to NYU Law School or business school and present your case, and no one could ever argue with you. But this will put you in the ballpark. Okay. Right? So the issues become a little bit, I'll just tell you, the issues that happen is, what's really maintenance and what's really an expense and what about working capital? Those are all yeah, issues. Well, I mean, you Forget about all that. <laughs> just forget it i don't want to you even brought it up for a second because you said in the house that would like had a dirty yard and paint peeling off and some other bad stuff and i was thinking right like that would could be maintenance or growth it's growth but it could be maintenance i could make an argument that that's maintenance right. but it's not in our case and the reason it's not is because we want to value this house Exactly as it is. Exactly it is as it is when you buy it. When you buy it. Okay. And I'm going to calculate what I'm going to pay for it based on the rent these people are getting from the house exactly the way it is, not after I fix it up. Fair enough. I mean, set your standards and apply them and don't vary, and that'll give you the same answer every time. That's right. And we're going to set Even our standards. Even if your standards are out of left field and make no sense. They're not. They're At least you have standards. They're very good. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Left I'm field. not saying that at all. I'm okay. just saying, once you set up your paradigm, you can't change it, or else you're going to end up with apples and oranges. That's true. So we're going to end up with apples across the board, and that means lemonade stands, real estate. Well, how and would I know if your standards are out of left field? <laughs> Look at who you're talking to. Fair enough. Ah, <laughs> uh, the power of trusting my dad. Yeah. <laughs> Trust is a strong word. Strong word. Okay. Well, then, you know, giving him a little slack that maybe... He sounds like he knows what he's talking yeah, maybe about. Maybe I know what I'm talking about. So here we go. Again, the real estate is simple to understand. We ended up with five... Let's go to the real estate example. $5,000. Okay. And I'm saying... I am stipulating... Yes. That we are going to go for a 10 cap rate or better. Okay. So we're not going to start bidding with a 10 cap rate, but if we end up there, we're going to be pretty happy here. All right. So what we want to end up with is absolutely as a minimum in the purchase here of this place is a price of $50,000 that we're going to pay for it. And that will give us a 10 cap rate. And how would I do the math? Well, I know I've got $5,000 of, of uh, money I'm taking home at the end of the year, also known as funds from operations, also known as owner no, cash flow. I was like, good Lord. I thought that was owner cash flow. It's owner cash flow. Okay. So I've got this owner cash flow coming off of my house, and I'm going to divide it by 10%. So 10% into 5,000 equals 50,000, and now I know what I can pay. It's just like that. Got it. Okay. All right. Now let's take let's walk this 5,000 over to our much improved multi-office lemonade stand. Fabulous. All right. We are making $5,000 as owner. We're making earnings. $5. Well, we've got a thousand lemonade stands then. <laughs> I like our simple numbers. Okay. I, want the, I want it to be apples it's to apples same. as much as I can. Okay. So we've got our lemonade stand rocking and rolling, and we're, it's producing $5,000 of owner earnings as we have defined them. Owner cash flow. Owner cash flow, a.k.a. owner earnings. A.k.a. Cash from operations? No. Damn. Not a.k.a. cash from operations. I swear you just said that. Nope, I didn't, but... It, on financial statements, cash from operations or operating cash flow is a, a different number. It's a typically a number that oh, we use. Oh, that's your net earnings. In this case, no? it's net earnings. Oh, my God. Yeah. In Accounting, this case, it's net man. earnings. It's... I know. It's brutal. 
Um, by the way, just a shout out to everyone who's trying to get rid of the IRS. <laughs> you wouldn't have to do any of this stuff if we didn't have the IRS. That isn't true at all. Okay, you'd have to do a lot Every less of it. Every business still has to do their accounting. <laughs> Come on. Okay, but you wouldn't have to figure out what's your maintenance cap X because it would well, all be I included in expenses. Well, I certainly hope they would because apparently we need this information for public company investing. You know what? I just realized you're absolutely right on that. You would have to still figure why, this out. I don't know why the, the IRS would make any difference. Yeah, it on wouldn't that. really, because you still have to we know what you're putting into maintenance. Generally accepted accounting principles. Yep. And you'd have to you'd have to know what you're same. putting in to maintain it, and you have to know what you're putting in to grow it. So we have five thousand dollars coming in from owner earnings in this particular case. Got it. Got it. And we don't care whether it's a house or a lemonade stand. Okay. It doesn't matter. Okay. It's $5,000 of own earnings. So what are we going to pay for it? Well, we're going to use the same valuation technique we used on the real estate. We want a 10 cap. That means we're going to divide 10% into 5,000 and that will equal $50,000. And that would be the amount of money we want to pay. Now, why? It's not just out of the blue. It's not a Picasso. It's a reflection of the cash flow that's coming in on this property. And that's a good number. $5,000 is 10% return on my cash. And here's the really powerful point. I don't have to worry about something that could happen in the future. I know I'm getting $5,000. Even though that house could use some fixing up, it doesn't matter. I'm going to get the $5,000. Without putting in the growth capital expenditures Right. All. Because if you think about it, putting in some money for growth is a bit speculative. I'm assuming that if I paint it and mow the lawn, I'll get a higher return, yeah. a higher rent. Yeah. But what if I go in and my tenant goes, well, I'm going to leave. And then I've got to get another tenant. What if I can't find another tenant? What about that? What about that? I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> in other words. Everything's horrible. <laughs> in other words, we want to buy companies a little bit the way we buy bonds. If, if, or if I lent you money and you owe me, if I lent you $50,000, you would owe me $5,000 a year at a 10% interest rate. Uh -huh. If I lend that money to Coca-Cola on a CD, they would owe me $5,000 a year on a 10% interest rate. If I lend it to the federal government as a bond, I know I'm going to get a certain amount of money from the bond. Now, compare this. If I lend this money to the gov government for 10 years, they're going to pay me right now about um, sixteen hundred. That's fifty thousand dollars. Help me with the math. It's what's the rate? Let's just call it two percent. They're going to pay me a thousand dollars. So the federal government would be happy to pay me a thousand dollars a year for the next ten years. No growth possible, and that's it. That's my funds from operations. That's my owner earnings. That's the num. That's the amount I get from my fifty grand. Okay, so we went from the lemonade stand being like real estate, and now the lemonade stand is like a loan. Yeah, kind of. Warren Buffett calls it an equity bond. It's a bond, but it's not a bond like I lent you the money. It's a bond that is producing a certain cash flow from a business. And if the business is a good business, it's not probably going to lower the cash flow in the future. Mm -hmm. I can count on that cash flow. That owner earnings is going to keep coming to me. So if you think about what rule number one means, rule number one means don't lose money. And if you buy something, thinking about it, in terms of owner earnings, then if you didn't make a mistake on the business itself or the real estate itself, location or something, right? 
it's quite a lot like a bond if you think about it that way. It's going to produce owner earnings of $5,000 year after year after year into the future without doing anything much at all. That's sure. kind of like a bond. Okay, I can accept that. Okay. So, so in a sense, the real estate deal, not even in a sense, the real estate deal is exactly the same kind of analogy as the one you just made for a business to a bond, real estate to a bond. Yep. Whatever it is that you've invested in, it's about having a certain amount of money that's coming back to you every year. Right. It's about having a certain amount of money coming back to you every year. Now, I'm thinking this is a good place to wrap up for a second because we're going to start into a whole thing here about looking at different kinds of companies. We've got a real estate house, which is a kind of a company. We've got a lemonade stand, which is a kind of a company. We've got Chipotle Mexican Grill, which is a kind of a company. Mm -hmm. Let's look at all those and see um, why we keep coming back to this 10 cap as a really strong place to begin thinking about what is this thing worth out there in the real world? Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, really, we just we, we recapped everything we talked about before and, um, and ended up with a bunch of Good information. That <laughs> <laughs> you got this look on your face. Like, I, I'm, I'm looking through my um, notes and I'm like, we haven't even talked did about. Did we go anywhere? We haven't even talked about the growth rates. Remember those growth rates? Um, so I'm going to assume that we're going to get to the growth rates. We are. Rates. We're, ultimately, we're coming back to that big pile of money out into the future for 100 years and how that relates to value. Yeah. Cool. But we're going to start right here with a concept of an equity bond, a real estate type investment with a consistent, predictable cash flow, in this case of $5,000, and then how we would judge where to put the value of the business on that basis and why $50,000. I like 50, this, I like this real estate um, metaphor. It works for me. I can, I can wrap my minuscule brain around it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. All right, good. You have anything but a minuscule brain, and you know it. When, so Let me just add that uh, everything you said about how our next podcast is number 52 and we're going to stop on the valuation train, um, I don't uh, want to stop on the valuation train. Yep. But we will say on the next one, yay, 52. <laughs> <laughs> yay, 51. Okay. We should just say that in every podcast. Yay. Yay, 75. Okay. I'm um, yaying. I'm and, yaying. And then, and then we'll do an episode of just questions when we're done with this valuation. Okay. Stuff. And it will be as if it was episode 52, oh but my not gosh. quite. It's going to be the same as 52. <laughs> People won't even be able to tell. It might be 79 when we get there. But, but I'm, I refuse to get off the topic anymore because we've done too many. As right. much as I loved our tangents, and by the way, they were completely justified because they had everything to do with valuation. That's just how we roll. No, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. But we're sticking with this. <laughs> we are. We're going to just keep pounding this. So we will see you next time for more about capitalization rate, how you look at a business like a piece of real estate or a bond and set up the beginning understanding of what things are worth. Cool. Time to go play. All right. See Bye, ya. everybody. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One podcast. If you like this episode, you can always get our show notes and more details and links to the resources we discussed at investedpodcast.com. Also, as long as you're online, head on over to investedpodcast.com slash workshop for details on an upcoming three-day live workshop that I'm hosting. All you gotta do to go is enter the special podcast code STOCKPILE, that's S-T-O-C-K-P-I-L-E, STOCKPILE, into the application form 
and you guys can attend for free. So everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it is not to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really do hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.